When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A year ago, the government of Afghanistan dramatically collapsed the few remaining forces of its Western allies departed abruptly and the victorious Taliban insurgency took the capital, Kabul. Afghans are thronging to Kabul's airport, desperate to get on planes and leave the country at any cost. Tens of thousands of Afghans begging for help tried to leave. America, Canada, uh, um, France, her country, me and just my. So Canada. you and your daughter, you'll go anywhere, uh, uh, any country, any country. I can't believe the world abandoned Afghanistan. <laughs> Our friends are going to get killed. They're going to kill us. In the months afterwards, it became clear that there had been fundamental failures on the part of both the U.S. and the U.K. The way the withdrawal of British troops and civilians from Afghanistan was dealt with has been labelled a disaster and a betrayal. The Foreign Affairs Committee found the mismanagement of the evacuation last August likely cost lives. We'd looked on aghast. But then Putin invaded Ukraine and our gaze shifted closer to home. So what happened to the Afghan people we left behind? It's just one thing after another... And it's just making it really impossible, really, for this country to have any chance of, of surviving. You're listening to Stories of Our Times and The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, what happened after the fall of Kabul? Recently, I met with a gentleman called Zakir and he very kindly welcomed me into his house to tell me about his two sons. Charlie Faulkner writes for The Times and is one of the few foreign journalists still living in Afghanistan. She moved there in November 2020 and just nine months later would find herself witnessing the disastrous end to two decades of UK and US military involvement in the country. We saw Kabul fall on, on August 15th last year. It was absolute chaos. It doesn't matter where you look, it's the same desperation. American soldiers pulling children, whole families from the pens they're being kept behind for processing. These people fear their dreams of a flight out are ebbing away as each day passes. Soldiers firing in the air. They fear they're losing control. In the days that followed at the airport, thousands of people desperately trying to get out of the country. We saw these devastating scenes of 
Afghans clinging on to a military aircraft that was accelerating down the runway and eventually took off into the air. Now, Zakir believes that his sons, Zabi and Zaki, were both clinging on to the aeroplane. Zabi's body was found in a pretty awful state on the runway, but it's unclear what happened to Zaki. They were teenage boys just about to become men. Zabi was 17, Zaki 19, and yeah, it's just been absolutely devastating for Zakir and his wife. They've had some peace in being able to bury Zabi, but this sort of unknown around Zaki's fate has just caused them huge amounts of grief and pain. And apparently his wife, every time the phone rings, she says a little prayer in the hope that it's some sort of information about where Zaki is. Did they have other children? Yes, so Zakir has six remaining children and the youngest is a year old. He's, he's, He's got a little boy. And they... It was clear that they, they really missed their older brothers. And, and there was a wardrobe still full of the brothers' clothes. I mean, the family had no idea that these boys had gone to the airport. They'd left early in the morning, and the first they heard of it was a phone call when they were actually on the runway. And poor Zakir went through this roller coaster of emotions because having this phone call and being told by his sons that they, they were getting on this flight and they were leaving and they were going to escape the Taliban, which the whole family was desperately in fear of, thinking that they could potentially be at, at risk of some harm with this takeover. He was pretty happy that his sons were going to be safe and that they were going to start a new life somewhere else. And then within sort of 30 minutes or so, he gets his phone call and he's told that Zabi's dead. I mean, I just can't imagine what that must have been like for him as a father who had been filled with so much hope one minute and then just utterly destroyed half an hour later. A growing fear is that the whole of Afghanistan could fall to the Taliban within a matter of weeks. Soldiers of the Afghan army are fighting for their country's life and they're losing. Afghan President Ashraf Ghani says the deteriorating security situation in Afghanistan is a result of the abrupt withdrawal of U.S. troops from the country. Cities and places that have become familiar, including Kunduz, Kandahar, and now Mazari Sharif, have fallen like dominoes as Taliban forces sweep toward Kabul. Now, Charlie, while all that was happening, where were you? For a couple of days, I had been sort of getting things ready. I knew that I was staying put. My housemate, who's a French photographer, she wasn't sure. But I'd spent a few days before just sort of getting things ready, getting flat jackets and helmets in the house, stocking up the safe room, getting an extra ladder in the garden in case we needed to escape. And then on on Sunday morning, I was actually out trying to get more SIM cards because we thought that the networks might go down and it was better to have a few of them. And while we were out, I mean, it was totally chaos. The streets were chockered with traffic, people trying to get their life savings out of ATMs. And while we were out, my driver and I start getting these messages saying that the Taliban are in Kabul. Now, we now know that wasn't quite accurate. They were certainly on the outskirts. And so I got home as quickly as possible. And I mean, I was busy filing and doing live interviews. And as my housemate decided that she was going to get on an evacuation flight, so she was in tears packing her suitcase and we were saying goodbye to each other, and I'm sort of putting makeup on and getting ready to do live interviews. 
So I was working all day and then by nightfall, a friend of mine came and picked me up because I didn't think it was safe for me to stay in the house. So I moved in with a friend into a, a, a secure apartment block and then woke up the next morning to this very eerie, eerily quiet car ball. Then within a few hours, we got our gear together and got out on the streets and, and started talking to people. And, you know, so I was sort of around the airport at the time when this flight took off. What persuaded you to stay? I don't know. I think um, I made the decision quite a long time before. I think I just felt it was important to be here and witness what was going on. And I definitely think I was scared, but I don't think I really felt it at the time. I think look, looking back now, I, was, I can sort of sense this feeling of, of being scared, but I don't think it was a conscious feeling at the time. And we'd had these reassurances from the Taliban that foreign journalists wouldn't be harmed. And then as, as everybody was leaving, I mean, it was definitely, there's definitely moments where I was like, my God, am I making the wrong decision? Watching colleagues and friends all leaving but there was a core group of us that stayed and, you know, looked after each other and, and made it possible to be here and, and cover the fall. And as actually we've heard, trying to leave can sometimes be as dangerous as staying. If you're in Kabul now, compared with how it was a few months, let's say, before the Taliban took over, what would you have seen then and what do you see now that's different? In terms of how people are dressed, what people do, what you can do. In, in the immediate days after the fall, we saw that people were very nervous about coming out into the streets, about opening their businesses. Men immediately started wearing the sort of more traditional clothing. Women were covering up and we saw less women on the streets. Certainly, people are more conservatively dressed now in Kabul than what they were a year ago. But about two or three months ago, there was a decree issued about women having to cover their faces when in public. And women in Kabul are not all abiding by that. Defiance in Afghanistan. Women protesting in the capital Tuesday after the Taliban strips yet another freedom away. Ever since the Taliban seized power in Afghanistan, all their projects have been against women. They want to limit and eliminate women from the field of society and politics. Not all women are wearing abayas and some women are still in very colourful clothes and wearing things that maybe they would have still worn this time last year. One thing that I've noticed, I was out for a little while um, a couple of months ago. When I came back, I really noticed men in T-shirts and jeans. That's a new thing. Men have been too worried about being punished for not wearing the traditional shalwar kameez. So there, there is a bit of a shift. But I mean, you know, it also depends which part of the country you're in. In um, Nuristan, down in the south, in Badakhshan, up in the north, we're seeing communities fearing the Taliban to such a point that they're starting to wear burqas, which is not something that they used to do before. And, you know, there used to be this real kind of feeling of, of a soul in Kabul. And that has gone. I mean, there would be people, it would be... Friends, couples sitting in cafes, drinking juices. There would be men late having their hair cut in the barbers late at night, having a chat. There would be the kebab shops smoking their meat on the barbecues really late into the evenings. You know, there would be this kind of energy and, and social life in Kabul. And that all feels like it doesn't exist anymore. 
Now, can you just walk out of your door, go and report, talk to anybody you like, nobody bothers you, or are there any kinds of restrictions or anybody watching what you do? No, it's definitely not that easy. I wouldn't just walk out of my house and walk down the street, for example. Kidnap is still a risk here. Crime is is on the rise again. And certainly as a foreigner, you know, people know that you've got money. So robbery and muggings and that kind of things are, are big risks. But yeah, I go out with my fixer in the car. We generally have interviews organised. But if we want to be doing stories that's related to the government, we have to then get permission from the government, from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs initially when you come into the country. Certainly, if you go into the provinces, you need to have additional permission from the government to be in that province and operating as a journalist. And sometimes, again, if there's a particular area, maybe the health sector, you might need to get permission again from the Ministry of Health. Have you ever been stopped from doing any reporting or is permission always given? I have had a pretty awful experience, actually, with Taliban security guards. I went to the street entrance where the house is located that was hit in the US drone strike that targeted the leader of Al-Qaeda. My fellow Americans, on Saturday, at my direction, the United States successfully concluded an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan, that killed the emir of Al-Qaeda, Iman al-Zawiri. Justice has been delivered, and this terrorist leader is no more. And the Taliban fighters that were there were immediately aggressive towards me and my fixer. They tried to take my phone, they tried to go through my camera, and they they physically harmed my fixer. They beat him with their fists and, and with a gun and threatened us with arrest and then eventually allowed us to leave and we were able to leave and it was okay. But that's one of the biggest stresses here, really, is that every... Every single Taliban official, every single Taliban fighter is completely different and you never know what you're going to get. There are very lovely Taliban members who are filled with curiosity, who want to have a conversation with you, or they're polite at least. And then there are some really awful individuals that are just quite happy to make your life hell. (laughs) Coming up what a US drone strike in Afghanistan on the leader of Al-Qaeda means for the Taliban. But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Matthew Campbell, Foreign Features Editor at the Sunday Times. I've always had a hunger for news, finding out things about parts of the world away from the beaten track. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of the Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The terrifying sight of people clinging to moving aeroplanes became one of the defining images of the withdrawal. But what subsequently happened to the families left behind, like the one we've been hearing about? They're really struggling. So Zakir had a fruit and vegetable shop which has gone out of business. He has male relatives who have lost their jobs and they basically have no income. I mean, sometimes they can't even afford to buy bread for the family. But this is such a typical story for so many Afghans at the moment. I mean, I hear that all the time. It's 8 a.m. and 13-year-old Pervez is getting ready for work. He and his young cousins only started polishing shoes in the last few months. Have you had lunch today? No. Eventually they buy a single piece of bread to share between them. One big indicator of the economic crisis is that you used to see one or two women in burkas begging outside bakeries for bread, and bread here costs the equivalent of about 10 pence. Now you see lines and lines of women and children waiting to hopefully get handouts of bread. And the country is kind of ground to a halt. If people don't have any money for food and they find it difficult to get bread, I'm presuming that this takes a big toll on people's health and sometimes even on their lives. Absolutely. We're seeing a huge increase in, the, in the, you know, the amount of people that need humanitarian assistance. So it's something like 24.4 million people, which is more than half the population, need humanitarian assistance. And that's a 30% increase compared to last year. A few months ago, I spoke to a lady at a food collection point and her daughter had worked in the government... And she had been laid off because she was a woman and there was no place for her anymore once the Taliban took control. And she, a few months later, they were struggling so much to feed, to put food on the table, to, to pay the bills, that this woman who had been the breadwinner of the family, she ended up killing herself because she couldn't cope with the pressure anymore. 
One of the factors which has made life very difficult in Afghanistan is the fact that the international community responded to the Taliban takeover by freezing the country's assets and so on. What happened in Afghanistan when that took place? Afghanistan's central bank assets have been frozen. There have been sanctions put in place, which has made international banking pretty difficult. There's still a cap on how much money you can take out at a cash point. I think it's back down to something like $200 a week per person. And so if people have got money, they don't have access to money. We've seen huge inflation, food prices skyrocketing. The prices of basic goods here have risen dramatically. Take this bottle of oil, it's refined sunflower oil. It now costs twice as much as it cost last year. Businesses finding it difficult to operate. Many businesses going out of business. It's a pretty miserable situation for everybody. And I imagine that other things going on in the world haven't really helped. No, and we've obviously got the war in Ukraine, which has been a sort of double whammy for Afghanistan. You know, it's taken the attention away from the country, completely understandably. But it also means that, you know, energy prices going up, fuel prices, that kind of thing. And then on top of that, you've got climate change. So the country's experiencing another horrendous drought. The drought last year and also this year in Afghanistan, but also the drought in neighbouring Iran, which is one of the biggest exporters, has caused harvest to decrease by about 80%. And it's had very strange weather in the last few months. Rain and flash floods soaked the impoverished rural northern region. The dozens killed are mostly women and children. And then on top of that, a couple of months ago, we had this devastating earthquake which killed more than a 1,000 people. I mean, it's just one thing after another, and it's just making it really impossible, really, for this country to have any chance of, of surviving. One of the things which has appeared peculiar was that quite a few people anticipated that when the Taliban took over, it would be a kind of different Taliban. I want to come on a little bit later to what they're really like. But in one key respect, it was imagined that they would be more liberal than they were, which was in women's rights. What's actually happened with regard to women's rights in Afghanistan since the Taliban took over? Women's rights are being slowly but surely demolished. And a major sticking point, obviously, is the girls' secondary schools. The girls had literally just sat down at their desks and the head teacher got a WhatsApp message from the local Taliban in charge saying that actually teenage girls can't come back to class just yet. We just want to learn and to serve our country, says Fatima. What is our sin, she asked the Taliban. They're still not open. We still have no information about whether they're ever going to be open. Women are struggling in terms of being able to work. We do see some women working, but in a lot of those cases, they need to have a mahram, a male relative with them, in order to be able to go to work. Has that led to any difference in the way women behave, let's say, when you interview them or when you see them around? Not for me, because I'm a woman. But, I mean, Afghanistan is a highly patriarchal society anyway. It was before the Taliban. It's just been exacerbated since they took control. 
it's given license to those men that feel that they can control women's lives and they can make comments about how women should or shouldn't behave. I mean, a good example is is gyms. So generally, women can't use gyms anymore. And that's not a rule that the Taliban have imposed. Male gym owners have enforced that rule. You know, I guess they're concerned about there being problems with the Taliban, but they haven't even waited to see if there is a problem. So just things like that. It's the indirect sort of shift as well that you can feel in society. Charlie, let's now talk about the new government itself. They've been in there a year. For years and years and years, the Taliban were just a kind of insurgency. They were a rebel group. Then they had to form a government. Can you talk about how that's gone? So I think that they're doing a better job than what people expected them to be doing. They're not as hardline as what people were fearing that they would be. But, you know, it's still really early days. We haven't seen what they're capable of yet. I mean, you know, it's a brand new government, whether it's in Afghanistan or or wherever, you know, it takes a while to settle in, to get a system going. They've inherited a completely different country, a completely different economy compared to what they did in the 1990s. And I think this time around, to some degree, they understand the importance of engagement with the international community. There's still super reliant on international funding, but the economy under the previous government was existing within a bubble and it was rife with corruption. It was propped up on foreign aid. Before August last year, it was 75% dependent on foreign assistance. This is a tough gig for anybody that takes on the country if we're talking about the economy. And I think that's why girls going to school, it's just not a priority for the Taliban leadership at the moment. With me now is Dr. Kalandar Ebad, who is the health minister for the Taliban. What is the actual plan? Is there a timeline? I Did think, they discuss this? I think uh, uh, the, the main issue is the economical problem. As you know that, that all of our funds are freezed outside the country. So for this purpose, too, we can um, uh, build an infrastructure uh, for the girls' education to arrange uh, a female uh, uh, teachers and uh, many staff. They've got bigger things to sort out, like getting cash into the country and keeping the economy going. Yeah, which is made, why it's slightly surprising whether they don't just let the girls go to school and trade it off against more foreign aid, really. Yes, agreed, actually. But, you know, I think now it's almost a bit of a stalemate, really. I just don't think there's going to be any change on that anytime soon. Now, one major complicating factor in all this has been the question of the Taliban's relationships with people seen as terrorists. We were talking earlier about your visit to the site of the US drone strike on Ayman al-Zwahiri. The CIA operation was carried out at 9.48 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday when senior officials say a drone fired two Hellfire missiles hitting here, the third floor balcony of Zawahri's apartment. He was living with his family in an upscale neighborhood of Kabul. What do you think it tells us about the Taliban's relationship with people like that? He was living where he was. And maybe you could tell us a bit about the place he was. So following the drone strike, the the revelations came out that this al-Qaeda leader, Zawahiri, was living in in a house that was at least occupied, if not maybe even possibly owned by Anas Haqqani, a top Taliban official, which means there's no way that... Some parts of the Taliban leadership didn't know that, you know, that he was there. But the Taliban's relationship with al-Qaeda is, is no secret. 
And the information that I've got from sources here who are close to the leadership, it's that they made it very clear to him that he could live in Afghanistan, he could exist here and, and you know, he could have his freedom so long as he wasn't planning any attacks. But how do you enforce that? It obviously doesn't look very good for the Taliban. And I think it's definitely destroyed any possibility of there being, I mean, the US and the Taliban are never going to work together. But there was this potential for some kind of working relationship, but that trust has now been completely broken. And I think what we're going to see is more strikes by the US and the US acting independently of the Taliban because the Taliban does not have the capacity to keep this threat under control, despite its many assurances. Now we have eliminated the emir of al-Qaeda. He will never again, never again, allow Afghanistan to become a terrorist safe haven because he is gone and we're going to make sure that nothing else happens. You know, it can't be a launching pad against the United States. We're going to see to it that won't happen. The Taliban have got to make a decision now whether they actually are going to isolate themselves or whether they are going to sit down and have meaningful engagement with the international community because you know they're in a bit of a tricky situation at the moment following this you've been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me david aronovich and my guest correspondent for the times charlie faulkner you can find more of Charlie's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producers today were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by John Scott. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.